Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted into the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not or I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. How much faith do you have? Okay, well, here's another question. How much faith do you want? Well, I'm getting no answers this morning. I hope you want a lot of faith. I want a lot of faith. Let me ask you this. Do you want a faith that can be put to the test of fire? The three Hebrew children had it, didn't they? And they said, we don't know whether the Lord's will is that we live or die, but whatever it is, we're going to serve the Lord. And they had that kind of faith in him. How about a faith that can sustain you even when you're put in personal danger, even danger of death? How about that? Do you want that kind of faith? Daniel had it. Daniel spent the night in the lion's den and I stood in a pastor's office yesterday and looked at a big picture he had on his wall of Daniel standing there looking out and the lions behind him and I'd never noticed, if you ever see that picture again, just notice the looks on the faces of those lions. They look confused, they look bewildered and some of them look afraid. Daniel had faith. How about a faith like Paul's that can be tried and ridiculed and chased from place to place and persecuted. Do you want that kind of faith? Amen. Folks, we need that kind of, especially in this day, we need that kind of faith that will stand the test. So how do you get that kind of faith? Well, Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us, so faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God and not just hearing the word of God, but the idea is hearing with the idea of believing it and putting it into practice. So we need faith. We come to the word of God to get faith. And then James says in James 1, 3, he talks about the trying of your faith. We need faith that when it's tried, it will last. But he says the trying of your faith works patience. The trying of your faith works endurance. Faith in many ways is just like the physical body. You need exercise to build up the physical body and we need to exercise our faith to grow in faith. And faith will help us to grow into being the kind of children of God that God wants us to be. And so we need to trust Him. Let me give you two very quick scriptural principles. Luke chapter 12 verse 48. Jesus said right there, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask more. 
You want a lot of faith? Well, the Lord may give it to you, but guess what? When he gives you that faith, he expects you to use that faith. And so trust him and use the faith that he gives you. And then he says in Luke 16, 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. What are you doing with the faith that you have? You say, well, I don't have a lot of faith. I haven't grown in faith. Yes, but what are you doing with the faith that you have right now? Are you using it in service of God? As I thought about this verse, and this is good just for everyday life, you know how to get a big job? Do the little ones faithfully first. Just serve in the little areas. We, people today want to do big things. They want big jobs. They want the things that are flashy, but they're not willing to start at the bottom and do the little things. They just want to start out with the big things. We'll just do the little things that we ought to do. These two principles, I think, can explain many times why we as God's people don't have the faith that we ought to have. We haven't exercised what we have. We're not using the little faith that God has given us. So again, if you want great faith, put to work the faith that you have right now and work on it. Our faith grows as we live in obedience to God and before we'll be obedient in the great things like the verse says, we've got to be obedient into the small ones first. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He reveals their lack of faith. Now I want you to see first of all in verses 3 and 4 what I call the simple requirement. And we're going to see how vital faith is in accomplishing things for the Lord that we ought to accomplish. And here's the context of this idea of increased faith. Jesus is teaching on a very simple matter, something that ought to be there for every child of God. He's teaching on forgiveness. Now we are taught in the Word of God to be forgiving individuals, especially of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you look down to verse 4, and verses 4 and 5 are very vitally, very closely connected. Verse 4, it's talking about your brother. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Very simply understood. Here's a, a brother or sister in Christ, and they do something that is offensive or hurt your feelings or whatever, not just once, but seven times, and not just seven times, but seven times in one day, okay? And the Lord said, if they come and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? You got to forgive them. Amen. That's a must. And do you see how the disciples responded to that one issue? They say, Lord, increase our, you know what they're saying? They're saying, look, Lord, if, we're, if I'm going to have to forgive a brother seven times in one day, I need more faith than I have right now. That's the context of this thing of increased faith. Jesus said, forgive seven times in a day, and the apostles, and, and it is the apostles, by the way, and you know who the apostles were. These were the men who were with him constantly, day in and day out, seven days a week. They watched Jesus heal the sick. They watched Jesus perform miracles. And yet they said to him, we need more faith if we're going to forgive. Now something similar happened over in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew, and I like to go to this one because Peter's talking there to the Lord. But verse 21 says this, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Peter's saying, Lord, how often do I have to do this? 
How forgiving do I have to be? Well, you look at what Jesus said in verse 22. He said this, Jesus saith unto him, now get this, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now just do the math. That's 490 times in a day. Okay. Now I, I've never had anybody offend me, insult me, or do something wrong to me 490 times in one day. But the Lord said if that happened 70 times seven. You are supposed to be forgiven. You know what Peter's looking for? Peter is looking for a legal limit to forgiveness. Amen. He's used to being under the law. He's looking for this legal limit. When can I be unforgiving? When can I say that's it? I heard this story by a preacher talking about the church he grew up in. In fact, he was one of our seminary professors talking about the church he grew up in. And they had a doctor in the church who every Saturday night would get drunk and get out in his car. He was a church member. Get, drunk, get out in his car and drive around town honking the horn, making a big scene. On Sunday morning, the church would vote to withdraw fellowship from him. He'd come back on Sunday night and apologize and they'd have to take him back. Finally, the church got enough. And he apologized that Sunday night and somebody said, no, we're not going to do it. And somebody else spoke up and says, yes, you have to. He came back and he asked forgiveness and he apologized. And the Lord said, you have to forgive a brother when he becomes an offense. See, here's the idea that Jesus is getting to Peter. And here's the idea that he's getting to us. If you're counting the number of times somebody's done you wrong, you're not forgiving. If you're just keeping a list, oh, I remember that. I remember that. No, you're not forgiving. If we forgive, we will truly forgive. We often get the Lord's teaching backwards, don't we? Instead of the idea of, man, I love God, I love the Lord. He's done so much for me. How much can I do for Him? I'm not doing enough. I want to do more. But many times the attitude of God's people is what? Well, how little can I do and get away with it? How little can I serve the Lord and still have him bless me? I want God's blessing to my life, but man, I've, I, I've got to live too, you know. And so how little can I do and still receive God's blessings instead of saying how much can I do? See, we ought to serve the Lord out of a heart of love and out of an appreciation. You can never repay God for what he's done for you. But you can show him you love him. You say, well, God knows I love him. Well, I know he knows you love him if you love him. But other people need to see that we love him also. So here's what the Lord says. He said, if your brother trespasses against you, sins against you, he said, do this, rebuke him. Now, that word rebuke means admonish him strongly. This is not done in a haughty manner. Let's say, I don't know, I'm not going to pick on anybody. Let's just say somebody does something and, and it sort of hurts my feelings. I shouldn't. I guess sometimes I go around with my feelings out there on my sleeve like people do, but somebody hurts my feelings. I'm not to go up and say, well, you sorry thing, you did this, you said this, and it hurt me. That's not admonishing. But go and say, brother, this has happened. We need to get this worked out. In fact, if you read the earlier verses here in Matthew, Jesus tells us how to do that. We say, we need to get this thing worked out. And what Jesus is saying is take care of your offenses. Keep your offenses between you and that brother in Christ. Matthew 18, 15. He says, go and tell him your fault. Get it worked out between the two of you. Again, not in a haughty manner. And then over in the fifth chapter of Matthew, 
You look at what he says. He says in verse 23, Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. You know what he's saying? The person doing the offense and the person offending ought to be going toward one another. They ought to meet halfway in the middle. They ought to resolve the thing and then together come and worship God. That's what the Lord's teaching us. Now, we ought to want to forgive a brother or sister in Christ. It makes for peace. But the Lord's just saying take care of offenses. Keep them between you and the offending brother. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Hebrews chapter 12, that is the chapter right after Obviously, chapter 11, where we've seen the uh, hall of the faithful and all of those who serve the Lord. And then chapter 12 starts out talking about the, the witnesses that we are surrounded by. But you get down to chapter 12, verse 14. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. He talks about a root of bitterness. I've pastored folks who had a root of bitterness before. You know what the root does? The root produces the fruit. You see people that are bitter, you see people that are angry, there's gonna be a root of bitterness somewhere in that individual. Holding a grudge, and this is what Jesus is dealing with, okay? Holding a grudge can make you end up being a bitter person. And if we're not willing to forgive, that seed of bitterness or that seed will take root and produce a root of bitterness. Have you ever known anybody that held a grudge? I've known a few of them. Some of them were church members, all right? I've known people who held grudges toward me. What do you have to do? I told you recently about the man who was a, he was a music director. He was a deacon in the church. He didn't like me. He had his little singing group, had the sound equipment up on the podium his little group got up to sing one Sunday and I used to sit right on the front pew and he'd look me dead in the eye and he said, Preacher, you don't know much but you do know how to run this. Come up here and operate it. You know what I did? I smiled at him, got up, went and operated the sound equipment. That's what we we're supposed to do. I knew his attitude. But again, why disturb a worship service by causing problems? Don't hold a grudge. Forgive. This is what Jesus is telling the disciples here in the book of Luke. Seven times in a day. Seventy times seven. Be forgiving. And again, how did they respond? We need more faith if we're going to do that. Lord, we need more faith if we're going to be forgiving individuals. We need a greater dependence upon you. We need your strength if we're going to be able to do this. Let me ask you a question. Does it often seem that you need an increased faith just to do the little things in the Lord's service? Amen. Just to do what we would call the basic things? Well, what are you talking about, preacher? It may be something like attend church. It might be something like pray. It might be something like get into the Word of God and study your Bible. It might be something like witnessing. It might be something like just keeping the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost in your heart and your life. Do you feel like you sometimes just need greater faith just to do? Those are basics, folks. Those are things that we ought to be doing anyway. We're not talking about what we would call the deeper acts of service, a faith that can be tried by the fire. 
a faith that can put your life in danger, a faith that can cause you to be chased from place to place and persecuted the way the Apostle Paul was. Now, here's what I understand from what these apostles said. Lord, increase our faith. You know what they were saying? We have faith. Lord, we've got faith. And I sort of figure they thought they had a pretty good amount of faith. And we just need more faith. And I love the way Jesus responded to them, and we'll see that in just a moment. But you know what Jesus said about their faith? Oh, in the 17th chapter of Matthew, and we just studied that in Sunday school this morning. Remember, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up into the mountain, was transfigured before them, and they came down, and here's a man who has a son that, he says, throws himself in the fire, he throws himself in the water. The boy had some issues. And the disciples, the apostles, had tried to heal him and couldn't. And Jesus commanded the demon to come out of the young man, and he left. And what did the disciples say? They said, Lord, why couldn't we cast him out? And the Lord's answer was this, because of your lack of faith. See, it wasn't the one that wanted to be healed that didn't have the faith. I pointed out to the Sunday school class, a lot of the modern day faith healers, if they can't heal somebody, well, they didn't have enough faith. No, Jesus said to the ones trying to do the healing, you didn't have enough faith. And then he said, oh, ye of little faith. How many times will the Lord look at us as God's people today, as the Lord's churches today, and look over us and say, oh, ye of little faith. I've pastored churches where we wanted to do mission work. And people were afraid. We had actually had people vote against getting into a mission work. We're small. We can't do that. You know what? In less than seven years, we had established a self-supporting church in that. God had established a self-supporting church in that place. Hey, folks, if the Lord puts a mission work before this church, we better think twice before we say we can't do that. We better be willing to do what the Lord gives us opportunity to do. And so again, here in verse 6 of our text, the Lord said, if you had faith. You know what he's saying? The disciples are saying, oh, we've got this great amount of faith, Lord, but we want you to increase it. And the Lord's saying, you don't have as much faith as you think you have. If you had faith, he said, as a grain of mustard seed. I told the Sunday school class we were going to do something. We got busy yesterday and forgot to do it. But I wanted this, Joni had come up with the idea. We wanted this big white circle, maybe with this verse on it. And in the very center of that circle, oh, you did it. I didn't know you did it. I'm going to come down here and look at it. Oh, there it is. Oh, you got it glued down. That's not just a glass bowl right there. There's a grain of mustard seed. I encourage you to come up here and look at it after the message is over. If you just had, Jesus said, that much faith. Do you have that much faith? He said, if you had that much faith, he would, said you would say to this sycamore tree. That's what a sycamine tree is. You would say to this sycamore tree, be plucked up by the roots and planted in the sea. In Matthew 17, he said, you'd say to this mountain, be plucked up and be planted into the sea. Now I've said before about this verse and I'll say it again, Jesus is not telling us to go around talking to mountains and trees. What he's saying is, if you had this much seed, here's what you'd do. You'd do great things. What keeps us back as God's people? We're living in a land today where God's people, we've always been a minority, we know that. But where the Lord's true churches and where God's people 
are needed and are needed to demonstrate the power and the grace of God as never before, folks. I'm going to get ugly. Here's a warning. I'm going to get ugly, all right? Here's the problem. It's okay to be full of faith and all in our little enclave right in here, isn't it? But now, wait a minute. I get out there in the world. There's people that are opposed to this. There's people that don't believe in God. There's people that believe perversion is normal. There's people that believe all sorts of things. And there's even, quote, unquote, Christian people who believe there's different ways of salvation. And how am I to stand? There's one way you can stand in that kind of a situation, and that is by faith in trusting the Lord Jesus. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. And then stand for it and trust the Lord to help you stand for it. Our willingness to depend upon the Lord, that is faith, okay? Our willingness to depend upon the Lord, our faith in Him, in our service to Him, is revealed by the degree of the works that we do. See, many who are saved just get by. They just do what they feel like it is their duty to do. See, we ought to feel like I'm responsible and I need to be in church on Sunday morning. You know, if I'm not providentially hindered, if I'm not sick, and I can make it, I ought to be there. But there are so many who look for excuses not to be present in the service of one of the Lord's churches. That is just a basic thing. That is what we might consider our duty to do. And there's so many that only do their duty because of a lack of true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then some don't even perform their duty, do they? This is not an easy message to share because it talks about the very area where we live. Faith. Did you ever say... Oh, I can't teach a class. Did you ever say, oh, I can't, I can't sing, and so I'm not going to sing? Did you ever say, hey, preacher, I can't, I can't witness? I can't live daily for the Lord? You know what that is? That's a lack of faith. In all of our service of God, in everything that we do, faith is vitally involved. And so Jesus, in verses 7 through 9, gives them a parable about this very thing of only doing what it is your duty to do. Look at this in verses 7 and 9. Here's a bond slave. You know what a bond slave is? That's the word I've shared with you before, doulos. It is a bond servant. Now you understand that a bond servant, a bond slave in that day, was considered no more than his master's property. You will do what I tell you to do. If you don't do what I tell you to do, I can have you killed. If I want to, because I bought you, I paid for you, okay? Now, the Apostle Paul said he was a bond slave of Jesus, but that's a much better situation. We all ought to want to be bond slaves of the Lord Jesus. But in that day, a bond slave was just property. And if the master told him to do something, he had a responsibility to obey that master and to do that. Again, I'll say I'm just glad that God is a better master than most earthly masters, right? By the way, when we're talking about our relationship to God, we're not just servants. What are we? We're sons. We're children of God. We're not just bond slaves. We are children of God. Secondly, we have a heavenly Father who wants us to serve Him more out of a heart of love than out of a heart of fear or out of a sense of duty because self-sacrificing love for God is the greatest motive that there is for serving God. And thirdly, our Master cares for us more than we can imagine. 
I don't know what was in the hearts of the masters of bond slaves in that day, but we have been purchased by the precious blood of the only begotten Son of God, and that makes us dear to our Heavenly Father, folks. So it's okay to be a bond slave of God, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus, all right? But again, here's a, an earthly master. And so Jesus makes this application. You have this servant, you have this bond slave, and he's been out doing during the day, whatever he is supposed to do, he's been out tending to the cattle, feeding the cattle, he's been out doing this. Whatever you commanded him to do, he's been doing it. Now it's evening time. And you're sitting down at the table. And he comes in from his days of work. Do you get up and say, oh, oh, you sit down here and I'll fix you something to eat and I'll serve you. He said, do you say that? No. If a man is a master of a bond slave, when that bond slave has finished his day's work, he doesn't come and let the bond slave come in and he starts serving him. No. And in fact, Jesus said, I trow not. Jesus said, I think not. He says, here's what you say to him. He comes in from his day's work and you tell him, go fix me something to eat. Now I could say, and, and I'll get in trouble for this, but I could say we husbands do that to our wives sometimes, don't we? Amen. <laughs> There's one honest man in this group, okay. They say, you don't invite him to sit down. You expect him, and this is verse 8. He said, you brothers say, make ready wherewith I may sup. Gird thyself, serve me till I have eaten and drunken. Until my meal is finished. I want you waiting my table. I want you serving me. And then, after you've served me, and I've finished eating, then you can get you something to eat. Now that was the relationship between a master and a bond slave in that day. You say, well, well, what is all of that talking about? Well, see, the Lord's really speaking to us many times today. Because that bond slave, he says, do you say to that bond slave after he's done what you've commanded him to do, do you then go up to him and say, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you for serving me. I appreciate you for coming in from a hard day's work and going ahead and setting the table and saying, I just thank you. No, you don't do that. Why? Because that bondservant was doing exactly what a bondservant was supposed to do. He was obeying his master's orders and he had no option except to do that. And in many ways, the Lord's speaking to us today. What do you mean, preacher, speaking to us today? Children of God who merely get by. Children of God who do the least possible. Children of God who say, well, I'll show up Sunday. Won't show up Wednesday. I'm not going to spend time studying my Bible. I'm not going to, and I know, listen, as I said last Sunday night, I know that I know that I know when you talk to God's people, especially Baptist folks about attending church, they will prove to you on Sunday night they don't have to come. But we're talking about folks who just say, I'm going to do the least possible for God. People for whom the greatest price ever paid for a soul has been paid in the blood of Jesus. And people who say, I just want to get by. I'm going to do what is required. You know, if I'm required to sing, I'll sing. If I'm required to pray, I'll pray. If I'm required to study my Bible, I'll do that. I'm just going to do what it is my duty to do. And yet we expect great rewards from the Lord for doing our duty. You know what he says 
at the end of this verse when we just do our duty? When a bond slave just does his duty? He said, in fact, let's go read that right quickly. This is verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And we just get by. That word unprofitable has the idea of useless. Not fulfilling our purpose. He said, when you just have this attitude of I'm going to do the very least. I'm just going to get by. Just sort of throw up your hands and say I'm an unprofitable servant. But remember, what does it take to be a profitable servant of the Lord? It takes increased faith. There's little or no glory in just getting by in the Christian life and in the Lord's service. And folks, we need that increased faith to do as the Lord commanded. And what Jesus is saying is this. If you don't have enough faith, let's go back to the first of this text that we read. If you don't have enough faith to do something simple like forgive a brother, you don't really have enough faith to do these other things, to do the great things, to do the big things. He tells us how to be a profitable servant. And verse 6 is the key to this text. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. And there it is. Again, instead of asking for more faith, let's use the faith that we have right now. Let God grow our faith. Let's grow as children of God in faith, in dependence upon the Lord. Because even that much faith, mustard seed faith, will cause us to do great things in God's service. But we have to have that faith. You know what James said in the book of James, the second chapter about faith? And how our works will betray our faith in the Lord. James chapter 2 verse 14. What doth it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and hath not works. Is the faith that does not produce. Here's what he's saying in the end of that verse. The faith that does not produce corresponding good works. Is that a real saving faith. And then he says in verse 17. Even so faith if it hath not works is dead being alone. What he's saying is if you really are a child of God. If you really have faith in Christ, it is going to be evidenced in your life. It is going to be evidenced by the things that you do, the, th the priorities that you have, whether you're faithful to the Lord or not. Now, as we close out this message, here's what I want to point out. Each of these apostles eventually demonstrated a great faith in God, a great faith in the Lord. You look just at the second chapter of the book of Acts. I love to point this out. Remember Peter? Peter denied the Lord. Peter said three times, I don't know him. I don't have anything to do with him. But on the day of Pentecost, Peter, in my mind, pointed his finger in the face of those who had cried out for the crucifixion of Jesus and said, you crucified the Son of God. What faith Peter had. And what had Jesus told him? He said, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. That converted doesn't mean he was saved. It means he grew in faith to that point that he was willing to stand up and preach that message that he did on the day of Pentecost. All of the apostles except one, and we know that was the apostle John, suffered a martyr's death. John, tradition has it, was boiled in oil and then exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what they did. They boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what our nation and what our world needs today? More preachers, preacher. No, they need more 
people, more church members who are willing to go out and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to friends, to family, and to co-workers. They all had their faith increased and it created a greater faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, increase our faith. How much faith do you have? How much faith do you want? As we exercise it, it will grow. And so it's my prayer this morning that God will grant us a greater faith. Help us to use what we have. Help us to serve him faithfully with what we have. But will grant us a greater faith. See, I want this church to be known in this community as a church that has faith in God. Not just that proclaims faith. And that that faith is demonstrated in all of our activities, in our worship services in our love for one another, in our fellowship, in all of the things that we do. When people come in here, I've said before, when people come in here, you know what I want? I want them to go away saying, I've had a little taste of heaven on earth. Amen. And that's what a worship service of one of the Lord's churches ought to be. I hope you want a greater faith. Serve him, use your faith, and ask God to increase your faith as you serve him daily.